British-born Simon Franklin started out as a musician and record producer and soon began working with composers such as John Barry on the soundtrack to Dances with Wolves, David Fincher's Seven, and David Cronenberg's Crash. He produced the vocals for Moulin Rouge and programmed on the Bodyguard soundtrack, and his collaborations with artists over the years include the likes of Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, Celine Dion, Luciano Pavarotti, Tony Braxton, and Madonna. James Cameron's Titanic sailed him to a Grammy Award for Record of the Year as producer of My Heart Will Go On, and Golden Globe Grammy Award and World Soundtrack Award nominations for the theme song from that same film, My Heart Will Go On. He worked alongside of James Horner for many years as arranger and score producer on several films, and when Horner tragically died in 2016, it was Franklin who completed his score to The Magnificent Seven. All in all, he has over 400 major credits in genres ranging from English grime rap to classical and everything in between. And his latest works are equally stunning. It was an enlightening conversation. I caught up with him at the studio in Hollywood and we geeked out about his gear and his workflow, including all the OWC equipment that has stood loyally by him for many years. For those of you who are interested in creating music, Simon shared his process with me, and I'm happy to pass it on to you. Stand by. This is going to be fun. It's time for OWC Radio. Tech Talk with Creatives. Conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. Simon Franklin is in town. He's in Los Angeles, not much longer, however, and I think we wrangled him because I heard from a little bird that you use OWC equipment. And of course, since this is OWC Radio, I would be remiss in not speaking with you, right? Hi, Simon. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Simon, you're in Hollywood. Can you do me a favor? Can you kind of look around the studio you're in and tell our audience what kind of gear you're using and a little bit about your process? I know you have a current project you can't talk about. You can't talk about the one you're working on now. Um, but perhaps we can use the example of the 2019 release of Birth of Skies and Earth, because that was a huge project. And, you know, perhaps we can talk about how you managed that one. Well, if I look around from where I am at the moment, I'm looking at a 55-inch OLED main monitor, which I, I moved to using large screens, and I like backlighting, so they don't sort of uh, blast your eyes out, especially at late night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's feeding into a 28-core uh, Mac Pro 2019 mm-hmm. um, with 384 gigabyte RAM and uh, 32 terabytes of uh, OWC RAID internally. Oh, that's awesome. So you're using the OWC um, SSDs inside the Mac Pro? Yeah, the S- NVMe RAIDs. Aha, aha. You know they just came out with a new case for those. You can actually carry some of those um some of those projects with you and use them on your laptop. If you're thinking about work, you can actually hook the Envoy Pro to the back of your laptop with the NVMe in it. 
It's wonderful. They're going to be. Oh yeah, I've I run forum twos, the external forum twos, because those, the 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 uh, when I bought the forum twos, I have the forum two externals as well Mm -hmm. uh, as the forum two internals, and they run. I have um, two boxes with eight terabytes in each, which I use to carry stuff around with (laughs) me as well. So you have a studio in London, and you're currently in a studio in LA. Is that your second place, or? Are you just yes, traveling? Okay. So you, you have a full setup. You're looking at your 55-inch OLED. Uh, what manufacturer do you use for your monitor? I've used the Sony, but it's the same panel as the LG. I mean, mm-hmm. basically the same thing. And um, But I like the Sony. It was the one that came out that had the sort of angle stand on it and made it look a bit like an artist easel. Mm-hmm. And um, and it works perfectly. I have it set up in on my keyboard workstation, uh, have a Yamaha uh, 88 node keyboard in front of it, and then a load of uh, little flat panels used to control different things, um, a load of sort of like uh, iPads and Androids of various sorts that I've got with different remote controls. Then to my right is an iMac Pro, which is a, I want to say a 12 core, uh, and that's got 128 gigs in of RAM in there, and then I've got two Mac Pro 2013s, they both have 128 gigs in as well. Okay, I have to ask this. How, how comes, I, I do, I don't have the equipment you have, but I'm looking at four different computers in front of me. What are all those different computers doing for you on a daily basis? What do you use them for? Um, so I have them running samples. So I use, a, so I write in Pro Tools which mm-hmm. is unusual. Most mm-hmm. composers tend to write in Logic or Cubase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I have to say, uh, I, Logic, I really, really like Logic. Um, and especially with the way that it integrates with the new Mac Pro, it is amazing. But my, my axe is Pro Tools. Um, and, uh, and then what I use is a thing called Vienna Ensemble Pro, which is a, a piece of software that allows me to network together and feed sound from them. So I have one computer, for instance, that has all of my string libraries. Um, and then I have another computer that has all my brass and my woodwinds, and another computer has like all my percussion in it and another, and so on. So that I'm using different libraries so that the, the, the central computer, the Mac Pro 2019, is acting as a, as a sort of like where an input machine mm-hmm. and everything else is being served off the different machines. I can do it all internally in the Mac Pro. Um, I find that serving it off different machines uh, just seems to work better for me. Um, the new Mac Pro is ridiculous. I can, I, and when I have driven it with, uh, you know, hard, where I've, I've got to a point where I've had. 270 gigs worth of, of taken up on out of my 384 with samples, um, then it still looks, you know, the activity monitor is still only at 40% with seven or 800 tracks. It's ridiculously powerful. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't know what I would do without mine, to be honest with you. it's They're just amazing machines. So tell us about some of your favorite libraries. Are you still using bespoke strings? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 Spitfire is a uh, Spitfire Audio make a mm-hmm. particular set of libraries, and and I was one of the original twenty five people that uh, we all sort of 
they used to cost a lot of money. Um, and we all put money in for these original strings. And now we, uh, uh, but I, I own pretty well everything Spitfire's ever made. Um, that is because I have a room at Air Studios in London, and that's where um, they, the Spitfire have recorded most of their libraries uh, at Air Studios. I know the sound of that room, it's amazing, but also the players, the same. I work in in London with a London orchestra. It's the same players, players, um, and you have amazing engineers, you know, like people like Jake Jackson and Simon Rhodes, who've recorded the stuff with amazing players in an amazing room. Um, and you can hear it in the samples, and they have a humanity that a lot of the other sample libraries tend to be antiseptic in comparison. Hmm. You started out, if I'm remembering collect- correctly, uh, in a studio using a synclavier, right? The, and sampling yeah. off of that. Yeah. That was in the early days, but you still have one, right? I mean, you still... I still have my synclavier. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Are you so attached to it? Well, you know, I said that the Pro Tools is my axe, but, but actually the, the original Les Paul, you know, so mm-hmm. if I want to say the, the 57 strap for me, Mm. is my synclavier. Um, it is, it does sound unique. Um, I mean, in comparison, remember these things were insanely expensive yeah. when, if we compare what we're doing now. When I first got into the synclavier, it was, I want to say $5,000 a megabyte of, for RAM. It's amazing what has happened. So when you're composing now, you're composing using Pro Tools, you said, right? Yeah. It's it's a thing that... that in film, the the film world lives in Pro Tools. Um, everything after the composer is a Pro Tools world. So the engineers recording the orchestra record Pro Tools. The editors, after it's been mixed, edit in Pro Tools. The sound that goes onto the dub stages in Pro Tools. Um, and I made a decision also, which was that um, when I was doing Avatar in 2009, we, we were looking, I had been using Logic earlier, Pro Tools started getting better MIDI, and uh, Pro Tools just sounds great. I just think it, it has, to, you know, it's, a, it's significantly better sound me than Cubase, and that's a personal thing. I just noticed that when I put test sessions in Cubase and put them into Pro Tools and Logic, Pro Tools and Logic sounded much better than Cubase. And I know there's a digital output and that everything is fine, but I, I just happened to hear something going on with the way that the, the sort of mix engine in Cubase and other people may like it more. Yeah, it's undeniable that the MIDI control is better in, in things like uh, Cubase and Logic. Um, but Pro Tools has some advantages, uh, especially with film, that I think uh, outweigh its disadvantages. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? The way that you can, I mean, linking machines I, is obviously one of the things that you can have multiple machines running mm-hmm. um, clearly. The other thing is that it means that when I go back and forth between picture changes are a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. And we then have to reconform our music to the picture. The, the great thing about staying in Pro Tools, it means that Whatever conforming happens, uh, I don't have to convert across to Logic or to to uh, to Cubase and reconform that, then reconform everything back into Pro Tools. It means it's effectively a unified standard for everything. Um, 
I like the sound of it. And that's really important to me because part of anything is that visceral feel you get when you play. Whether, you know, if I'm st- sitting at the Steinway and playing a Steinway, uh, the Steinway sits and tells me whether I'm playing anything good or bad. Um, and the same thing happens with in terms of the way that you work in a studio. I play studio and the studio, if it sounds great, you know, then if you you're doing, then then you have a much I find that it works better. It's more creative for me that to, to have something that sounds great than than the fact that I can tweak, uh, you know, 11 parameters because I come from synthesizers. You know, my day job was programming synthesizers for, mm-hmm. for people when I was younger. So I understand the technology very well. And therefore, a lot of the shortcuts that other people use, I find um, I don't need to worry about them as much because I've already sort of I've lived that life for so, so many years. How much of your work is uh, is analog? None. Interesting. I, and that's true. That's been true for a long time. I mean, I remember we were doing a film called Spider, The Amazing Spider-Man, where we did a test where we did everything, including mixing through a million-dollar console at Fox Studios, and then we did the same test, mixing everything digitally. Uh, and uh, and we decided we preferred the flexibility of, of running digitally, and that was in twenty. 12. I haven't, um, I, I basically all of my, my rigs, uh, are, are pretty well, apart from mic microphone preamps to record things into everything else is, uh, digital, you know, and I, I was the guy that had tons and tons of analog equipment. I had all the vintage synthesizers, everything. I still got some, a load in storage, but basically, um, all of that went away. Everything became computer-based. Um, the only analog I have are the converters to the loudspeakers and the converters from the microphones into my Pro Tools rig. What is the most tracks you've worked with at any one point in time? Probably 1,100 tracks. Oh, my gosh. A particular piece of something like that. Um, my, my standard template, my starting template, uh, is around six or seven hundred tracks. Now it doesn't mean I use six or seven hundred tracks, but I have them available. I know there are people who have many, many more than that. It's just that uh, um, Pro Tools also has an advantage. It has a thing called track presets, which allows me to drag things in and out. Like have, if I have exhaust, I only use once in a while. I don't have to keep them in my templates. I can keep them separate and then just drag them in when I want them uh, in very, very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's probably six or 700 tracks. Um, and they're all the major food groups. So strings, brass, woodwinds, orchestral percussion, percussion, tune percussion. Um, then, you know, synthesizers, uh, keyboards, like piano, like general instruments, instruments and vocals. And then there's a whole thing for choir, uh, and then there's all the other different bits and pieces that, that happen in film. So that's, uh, that's normal for me anyway. And you're composing all of those tracks? Well, I won't use all of them. You know, you, you won't be using six or 700, but, you, you, but they, are, they are basically like, you know, you, that's your starting template, which means that I can choose to have every instrument that I want instantly. Um, and I don't have to sit there sort of rummaging around trying to find things. 
Um, and also what happens is that when you're working on a project, you'll often uh, create templates that you use um, because you have particular sounds that become key to that score. Mm-hmm. Especially in, in film, too, because you're you're varying the theme throughout the film sometimes, right, as well as creating music for the scenes. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you have musicians that come into your studio there, you're recording them in Pro Tools. What what codec are you working in? Um, what, what are the files? Well, I'm using... Everything we run is either is 32-bit mm-hmm. um, WAVs. Um, there's really a 24-bit going in, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm using um, Avid Matrix converters um and they are uh and then it's depending on what i'm doing it's either at 48k or at 96k some of those old martin sound converters um don't exist anymore do you have some old ones i've got two of the two of the the, the martin micros i also use the millennium micros which are wonderful mm-hmm. and then Rupert Neve Designs have made some lovely, lovely stuff. Um, so I have a couple of theirs as well, which are, are are spectacular. But yeah, the great thing about a mic pre is it really never goes out of style. You know, there are things that are 70 years old that still sound amazing. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a musician, obviously, but I, I have a love for good headphones. And when Sony stopped making my favorite heads, headphones, and and a pair of that a pair that I had were stolen. I was a little bit distraught, but they started making them again. I think it's it's subjective. Music is subjective, and that's what makes it so wonderful. Because yours, you are putting yourself out there every time you compose uh, a new work, and some of your stuff is it comes from a very very deep place. What did you like to do when you were five years old? When I was five, I was probably playing with action men. But when I was thirteen, I pretty well I wrote to the BBC saying how do I become a record producer and how do I become a film composer and uh, so I'm unemployable in any other regard Uh, so (laughs) my day this this has been the only thing I I was capable of doing that's amazing but you're doing what you love every day of your life and I know you can't talk about the new ones but if we go on the internet, they're talking about um, your bio is talking about a film called Brahmastra that's coming out next year. Is that your going to be really in the cool? Yeah, Brahm- no, no, no. Oh, that, okay. that, that, that there's Brahmastra is very, very, very cool. So I, 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 I tend to do. I, I have the curiosity gene. I like doing different things, um, and <clears throat> I've worked all over the world. I enjoy different cultures and so on. And um, my agents said to me that you know, it, there was this uh, Bollywood f- series of films, a trilogy going to be made. And they're really quite a you know, serious big budget by the, you know, the budget that had been in India. But even by Western standards, this is a pretty decent budget. And um and it is a spectacular movie. Um, it's obviously been delayed because of COVID, mm-hmm. um, the first one, you know. But um, young director, Kudayan Mukherjee, who is, is ridiculously talented. Um, and, and it has 
um, without going into too much detail, it is the sort of um, mystic meets uh, sort of I would say almost like sort of uh, the Lord of the Rings meets uh, Marvel meets James Bond. I mean, it, it's a uh, an action adventure with mysticism. Um, it is everything that you want from a, a Bollywood film in that it also has um, some amazing songs written by, you know, I'm doing the film score, mm-hmm. but then every Bollywood film has to have songs. You know, you are required to have the songs in them. And the songs have been written by this wonderful guy called Prism Chakraborty, who's, who's beautiful, beautiful songs. And, and there are the full on dance numbers that, that you expect. And it these incredible dances done as a part of a film, you know, it, and it, coming from a Western perspective, you sort of, you know, it's, it, it's unusual, you know, you're in the middle of a chase and then at the end of the chase, you go upstairs and then, then a song breaks out. But it is done so beautifully. And I can understand, and it, there is such, so much, um, uh, it really is uh, fabulous. I, I'm, we were meant to have finished this a long time ago. I'm hoping we're going to finish it this year, and I'm hoping that it will come out next year, at least the first one. Part one will come out next year. Uh, obviously, like every other film in the world, it has been delayed because nobody wants to go into the cinema. Around. That looks like the kind of movie you have to watch on a big screen. You have to. It really is. It's not, it's, it is a... You know, it's got all of the, you know, some some fabulous action sequences, you know, um, wonderful visual effects. It will look um, majestic. I think it, it, it's a, it's a, uh, I hope, a breakout film for Indian cinema. Oh, it sounds wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm thinking here that in the theater, it's going to be in beautiful Dolby surround sound, right? Um and it always bothers me when I see filmmakers, composers working so hard to make these beautiful works of, they're literally works of music art, and then um, people are listening to them on their iPhones or watching them on a, uh, it's, it's kind of, in my mind, it's a bit tragic. Um, but, but yeah, I think there are certain things that are meant to be seen in, in the theater. Now, I'm curious about your live the birth of skies and earth. I wanted to try to find so I could listen to it when I was thinking about interviewing you and I wanted to listen to some of it and I, I've not heard it. It came out in 2019 and it was an incredibly, I mean, it was a huge undertaking. There were like what, over 176 musicians on a stage and a 90 piece orchestra, choir, soloists. Yeah, I, I, I work in China a lot. Um, I enjoy the Chinese I, as a culture, the China culture, and I, I, the Chinese people are uh, funny, I, uh, creative. I think they're, they're, they're great. I did a number of projects there, um, and I just, uh, I got, um, there's the, I'd done several projects in Shanghai, and I'm, I'm building studios in Shanghai as well. Mm. And, um, the city of Shanghai has a thing called the Shanghai Media Group, who um, the, who are there to provide a sort of they they sponsor creative works, and they've worked with uh, 
the Shanghai Orchestra of the Light. They wanted to sponsor or commission a work based on China's great myths and legends. There's a sort of what they call the creation myths of Mm -hmm. how China came to be. And it starts from literally from the sort of Kronos idea of there being chaos in the darkness and nothing. And then, you know, there's, and then you go from the nothingness of everything to the creation of the universe, to the creation of the earth, to the heavens and the earth and sun and the skies. And then, through to animals, to phoenixes and dragons, and then creation of music and art and writing and China itself and so on. So there, there are all these different myths and legends that are things that the Chinese, as a, a people generally, everybody knows. And they wanted to have make something that was a little less purist China, because they could have just hired a... a Chinese composer. There's some mm-hmm. amazing Chinese composers. They could have heard, but they said, "Well, we want something more international because the idea is that this may tour, you know, throughout the world at some point." Mm-hmm. And so, I was commissioned to write a an oratorio. So it's effectively, um, it's like a mixture of an opera with a musical, but it's on stage, um, based on this um, and. They gave me a libretto. They gave me the lyrics, which had been written beautifully, you know, the beautiful lyrics written by some of Shanghai's finest poets had written different lyrics in Mandarin. I then had to compose the score uh, and obviously the choir and everything else, the, the, the part for, for them to sing. Everything had to be done in Chinese. Uh, so I don't speak Mandarin. Um I can get around and pretty well, you know, ask for a cup of tea and say thank you and so on. But I can do that's about the basis of it. So I then had to learn how to write music in Mandarin and not mangle it because you can have a situation where you have three characters. I mean, it might, if you have one character, it might mean I'm making this up. It might mean mountain. You add a second character, it might mean big mountain. You add a third character, it might mean cow. Mm-hmm. You had to be a so one had to be careful that you connected the characters in a way that didn't end up saying the great big cow that is over the, the horizon. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was the key, was learning how to write in Mandarin. Once I got that one nailed, then it was writing a 96-minute piece of uh, classical music. It's amazing that working in a foreign language that you don't understand it would it would be very very hard to get the the emotional subtext and the rhythms because there's and also you're dealing with the differences in the culture and how those people might react to things that perhaps as someone who was born and raised in England uh, might do it a little bit differently i i really admire what you did there i can hardly wait to to hear it it's a good noise it really is it really is a good noise unfortunately Somebody may have recorded it, but it went on tour in China, but the, the, the we never actually sat down and recorded it for an album, which I think is probably, we may even may end up doing it one day. Oh, that would be something that I really am going to hope that you can do. That's amazing. Uh, so let's go back to your room. I'm soaring in the heavens with all of your work. I'm looking at all your credits while I'm talking to you. Back to your room. You're, you're composing on on Pro Tools, you've got all your computers, you have your libraries, you have your sort of your workflow. 
that you've worked out for this current project. When you finish something, talk to us about the workflow from the composition side into your 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 Pro Tools, and then how do you get it out, and where does it go from there? So, effectively, I'm 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 creating. You know, I have my my keyboard. I play. I create MIDI notes, or if I have musicians play, they create audio files, and then I convert the, you know, so I've made a demo. So, so I've got something that has now a fake orchestra on it, and it sounds very good because the samples are very good. Um, and I've, I've mocked it up against the picture or whatever I'm working on so that I have something that's decent. At this point, um, I have, I hand it over to the grown-ups. Um, and so I have people like uh, orchestrators uh, who are uh, significantly better orchestrators than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm, I can get away with uh, certain things. I think that having somebody who makes sure that the clashes that I've somehow generated between the cellos and the violas don't work are slightly better than they should be. Um, although I'll have mucked out a lot of the parts, the orchestrators will then spread things out so things are better. And also, it allows me to get on to do what I'm to do which is to write music mm-hmm. and orchestrating actually getting because the next thing we have to do is we prep the files so that i can record it with a live orchestra for instance if i'm using orchestra um so the orchestrators we're all linked to using um all of the normal uh, media transfer systems that, that that everybody uses and we're we have been used to working this way for probably seven, eight years, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. This is not anything new. So that, that I have a team of people who quite often don't see each other for months, um, partly because I did so much traveling last year, but also because we, we found that working at home was perfectly good. You know, we do, when I'm, I have people who work studio and so on with me, in terms of everybody else, we can we have worked out how to do this sort of um, remote working environment has been part of our normal rules for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything gets handed over to orchestrators. They then prep files in a thing called Sibelius, which allows us to create the sheet music that the orchestra can play. And we prepare the Pro Tools sessions so that they can be recorded at a big studio if it was in los angeles it would be sony or fox if it was in london it would be abbey road or our studios uh, or if it was in vienna i did it or bratislava it could be a number of different places around the world but it, it doesn't matter where you are around the world the orchestra still has to play uh black dots on pieces of white paper and uh and so we have to have the orchestrators are, are creating those then that's printed out for the orchestra to play. And I hope that I'm there when the orchestra is, is recording, but it is often the case where I will need to remote in and I'm using software like software source connect, for instance, or so on to remote in to listen to the orchestral recording and also to, be able to talk to a local conductor because I can't be there. Um, and the local conductor literally has me in his head or her headphones. Um, and I can tell them what they uh, what they need to do, and I can make changes on the fly, and it works seamlessly. And we've been working on like that way for many years. 
one of the I can't actually say that uh, in terms of my workflow that COVID has really made any difference at all. Well, that's good to hear. It's made a difference to record. It's made a difference to the recording process. Mm-hmm. But in that, the composition, not my, the recording process has been terribly affected and the lives of musicians have been decimated. Oh, um, sad. Because if you can imagine with a, a film score, you might have up to 100 musicians in a room. Uh, now, if you're lucky, you can get 40 players into a large studio Um and there are whole extra things about breaks, about making sure that, for instance, you cannot record. Wind players and brass players have to play isolated and separated, separated from any other musicians. Uh, choirs, likewise. Everybody has to have a three-meter gap between them. So there are huge restrictions now, and that's notwithstanding the fact that all the major orchestras may go bust. Music is, uh, it comes really from the heart, from the soul, from the mind, and doing it in isolation. I know when you're composing it's different, but like you're saying, when you're recording uh, musicians, there's something about the energy in the room with, you know, 400-voice choir all in the same room with one conductor, um, and that, that those notes are resonating and the overtones are resonating. It's just an amazing feeling for the performers as well as uh, as well as I'm, I'm sure f- for you. Larry O'Connor, who owns OWC, says you're just amazing to work with. And I imagine that that is another reason why you've worked on, on over 400 projects, because you have to be you have to be able to play with others well in order to make all of this work in the, in the current settings. How does OWC and the equipment, other than you have some memory, right, and you have the SSDs to beef up the storage capability within your machines, do you have other OWC equipment for, for external storage or any servers? What are you using? Yes, I, I've, mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got generations and generations of OWC stuff. So I have mm-hmm. um, thunder, thund, thunder Bays that go back to um, Neanderthal times with spinning mm-hmm. hard drives and mm-hmm. uh, and and stacks of those big ones and little ones. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when SSDs came out in the two and a half inch format, then I was using box. You know, the, taking the little mini ones, mm-hmm. and that that was a transformative because it meant I could carry libraries with me. It, it, previous to that, we were running external raids or using drives and and they became bigger and heavier and mm-hmm. uh and noisier and everything else and suddenly these little boxes could uh, could outperform mm-hmm. them um and why for instance the excelsior cards are working so well for me in terms of my new mac pro is that it allows me to have a system now where I don't have all these boxes hanging off the outside of my Mac Pro. Much as I love the trash cans because they were very <laughs> compact and transportable, right. the, the problem was you ended up with this spaghetti of stuff that was running off them. Um, the 4M2s were great because they were the first time I could get um, the NVMe you know, up to size so that I could actually get some NVMe raids that were big enough for me to be able to use them properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, I've got all the sort of hubs, you know, the, the, the various different um, 
different uh, Thunderbolt 3 and Thunderbolt 2 hubs that I've had for years. And I mean, I've been buying stuff from WC from from the you know from the you know for probably 15 years. I'm going to guess. I have no longer how old WC is, but I'm going to guess it's it's uh, since it first was first appeared. Um, it was the place where I would buy all the bits and pieces, you know, and, um, and I still, you know, I know much as you know, Larry is wonderful, but I also know that when we were having some issues with some of the, there was an, there was a bug in the 10, 15.4 re- Apple release of Catalina mm-hmm. that was affecting large data transfers. And the guys at soft raid and the guys at OWC worked, tirelessly with me to try and solve uh, you know the solve that you know we we nailed it down with and there was a fix and, and they, they, the guys could not have been better i think that's the thing that i would say about owc and the reason i agreed to to, to talk to you about it is that they're um is that they've gone the extra mile and i think that uh, for someone like me, that that's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, they're amazing. I think I have some OWC equipment that looks like it was developed in the time of the Flintstones, and it still works. It's amazing. And, you know, hard drives are uh, susceptible to, well, they just sometimes they have problems or sometimes they die. I've been on location, and, and OWC got on the phone and immediately when SoftRaid said I might be losing a drive, they immediately shipped me another one, and, and I could continue working without missing a beat and felt confident that I wasn't going to lose anything. The SSDs are wonderful, but you do have to back them up because if for some reason you lose one, it's gone. They're very hard to, they're very hard to, to uh, recover, right? Yes, I, I, um, I look at SSDs as being uh, something that, that needs to be backed up every day, just in case. Because the thing was with, with spinning spinning drives, I could use R Studio or some of the really even with RAIDs. There, I had some uh, software that you know we could dig into the in uh, iron and and get stuff out. Mm-hmm. But you just can't do that with uh, with SSDs. Where once they're gone, I remember early on there was a, a batch of um, of uh, SanDisk SSDs that I had that just all were bad. And um, so yes, there. If it doesn't exist twice, it doesn't exist. I know that's an old uh, old saying, but it's um, uh, with with SSDs, it's uh, doubly so. Well, the good news about using SoftRate is you can verify every drive before you start using it, and that's a leg up for all of us. Uh, it's amazing, and the SSDs are just screaming fast compared to the spinners, right? Yeah, my, I mean, the, the, I've got. You know, I had two six. I two had two eight terabytes uh, Excelsiors, and then Larry told me that they were making sixteen. So I bought two of the sixteen. So I have thirty-two terabytes of those inside the Mac Pro, and they're both running at six gig a second. And I don't braid them together. I've got them running as two separate thirty-two uh, separate sixteens, mm-hmm. and they're just they're. Sort of, I don't. The, the best thing I can say about them is they're anonymous. I, I don't want to have to. The moment I have to think about a drive, it's it, then then there's a problem. And the other thing I could say is that I was doing a, I had a tech support call with a company yesterday, where the uh, where there was a problem with their software, 
and we we were loading up probably four or five gigs worth of samples into this piece of software and uh i was screen sharing the tech guy and the tech guy literally was telling was was saying i just can't believe how fast this is i cannot believe how fast this is loading and he said we may actually have a problem which is the software can't handle you you may be loading your samples faster than we we're we're catching up with it you can't process and it that, that fast. was <laughs> oh my yes. goodness wow um uh, and uh he was he was wondering whether that might have been the problem i mean it was literally he he, he said we he, will load this and then we'll wait a couple of minutes and sort of five seconds later it was and then he was he was watching this thing blister through um and for me the reason i bought these uh raids is that is that it's seamless it allows me to uh, work faster that's obviously obvious to me and and you you when you multiply the amount of time you save by loading because a load takes say 10 seconds instead of two minutes mm-hmm. um when you add that across a day and a week and a month and a year that's a huge amount of time that I don't have to think of that I save, not watching a, a progress bar. And that, for me, means these things are hugely worthwhile. I'm not dealing with 8K video files. I'm dealing with millions and millions of samples. Mm-hmm. And it's a different sort of thing, but it, it is that load times become uh, a real issue. And also, when you're creating, your mind's moving really fast. You need you need uh, equipment that's going to keep up with, with you, right? Yeah, I don't want to have to think about this. I just want to thank OWC yeah, yeah. for sponsoring OWC Radio and allowing me to meet wonderful artists like Simon. And uh, Simon, have a good trip back to London when you go. And when you can talk about your new project, please promise me I'll be able to speak with you again. Uh, we just love your work and are so pleased that you're there. And there's so much for us to talk about. So we'll table the rest of it to another time. And everyone listening, like I always tell you, you get up off your chair and you go do something wonderful today. This is Serena Catania, and I'm signing off. Bye-bye.